The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Once you know a spiritual truth, how do you tell others about what you have learned? How urgent a task does it become? And can people really understand what you're trying to tell them? Welcome to IN's NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today is Reverend Peter Panagor, who is well known in Maine for daily devotions, a daily two-minute TV sacred storytelling show seen on two NBC stations in Maine and easily found at dailydevotions.org. Raised in both the Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic traditions, Peter received his Master of Divinity degree from Yale University and is ordained in the United Church of Christ. Peter is the author of the book Two Minutes for God and an upcoming book titled Heaven is Beautiful about an NDE he experienced while ice climbing. Peter, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. Hi, everybody. It's good to have you here. Good to hear your voice. Uh, you too, and I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, well, you're very welcome. Uh, Peter, tell us about what happened when you went on that fateful ice climbing adventure. Well, um, I was ice climbing in Alberta, Canada, and it was 1980, and we made a couple of youthful mistakes in our equipment, which led to a series of uh, delays in our climb, and we reached the top of our climb, which was a world-famous climb, and there was a whole bunch of other climbers on it that day. But by the time we reached the top of the climb, 500 feet up, everybody else had descended. Hmm. And we then began an arduous night of survival in the sub-zero temperatures um, under a starry night, Long story short, uh, we had hypothermia and frostbite, and on our third and last rappel down, I had advanced hypothermia, and I'd been on the National Ski Patrol for some number of years and uh, was well aware of the process that I was going through, and my partner, Tim, too. I wasn't alone. It was with me. We had decided earlier that evening to save all of our energy for movement and not for speech because we were very exhausted and hungry and very, very cold. So we had just come around the corner of a crag, a bouldery crag that we had descended down, and we were clipped into the mountain. There were iron pins with rings for carabiners to clip into, and the ledge we were standing on at this point was was maybe about 10 inches wide with our, our noses actually pressed up against the granite. Because at this point, we were off the ice, and Tim was to my left, um, and, and I was clipped into his right, and I had the rope, and it was a, a double-line rope, which meant that it was about 300 feet long, but we doubled it um, so that we could use about 150 feet of it each time. And it was tied. One end was tied to my harness, and the other end I had dropped in order to, or you know, I could say released it uh, from my hand so that I could pull the line through. But on the first pull, uh, the rope became jammed, up around the corner where I couldn't see and couldn't get to. It, it became stuck in some kind of rock squeeze, and mm. I couldn't get it out. And and that was 
was really bad news for us because we were pretty far along, and with hyperthermia, I had begun to enter the days where my body gets hot or the body gets hot and all the blood rushes to the core, and it's uh, a point where a lot of people in this kind of position start stripping off their clothes because they think that they're hot, and when actually they're not hot at all, they're uh, they're dying, and so I had the rope tied to my harness and couldn't get it undone um, because if I, I could get it undone, but I couldn't, I chose not to release it because if I had undone the knot, if I had untied the knot and handed it to him to help me pull, the chances are that we could have dropped the rope and we would really have been stuck because both of our hands had um, frostbite. So we leave the rope, we left the rope tied to my harness and we, I continued to pull on it by myself and... It was, uh, I, I'm going to set the scene for you a little bit here. It was uh, about 150 feet up on our last rappel, and to our left was the Columbia Glacier uh, a few miles away, and we weren't very high from the highway. We were on this climb called the uh, Lower Weeping Wall, which is a world-famous climb. Uh, my first ice climb, I'd been a technical climber and a backpacker, winter camper, but I'd never gone ice climbing, and it was a stunningly beautiful night, and the three-quarter moon had risen up above us, uh, so much so that we could see, almost see color. It was almost that bright out, and it was a very beautiful place. And I remember standing on this cliff thinking about my family and having honed my willpower down to this like laser beam desire for survival. And we had fought all night long. And all I wanted to do was get off that mountain. And so I began to fall asleep, which is the last stage of hypothermia. And because I was harnessed and clipped in, uh, I didn't fall very far each time I fell asleep, but I did fall each time I fell asleep and smacked my face into the granite and my helmet into the granite together. And would then wake up and climb back up and continue to try to pull the rope, but this one time, as I began to fall asleep, uh, it was like the end of, a, of an old film from the 1920s where, the, where it fades to black and you see this, this black uh, ring closing in uh, to the center. And I saw it coming and I'd never seen anything like that before. Mm. And suddenly the world in front of me went black and I felt myself fall and I realized that I wasn't asleep. I was surprised I wasn't asleep. I could still think. And and suddenly in front of me was infinite darkness, and it had action to it. It was, it was moving and rushing toward me, and I saw it coming, and I began to resist uh, what I... What I what I saw approaching me, and, and, and it felt like it was sucking me out of myself, like a a super vacuum, and I fought with all of my willpower that I had developed that night, which I didn't even know that I had that much inner strength, but it was absolutely nothing compared to the strength of the pull that was taking me from myself, and although I fought, I had no choice but to go. And the next thing I knew, and, I, and like all near-death experiences, um, this timelessness and there are absolutely no words to describe it. And yet, I've been compelled inside my own 
head and in my life to try to hang words on the experience to try to understand it what ha- understood understand what happened to me so <laughs> so this is this is the language I use yes. so I found myself in the outer darkness this greater darkness this infinite darkness that I could see I could see in every direction even though it was dark and I, although I had no body I was a being of consciousness that um, was contained I was still me but I had no brain in the way of my thinking and in front of me uh, or beside me there was this gigantic door and it was translucent and transparent at the same time and, and there was this tunnel down through it and and I, as I looked down through it I touched it with my being to feel of it and when I touched it with my being it was alive it had life energy living in it and and as that happened I heard my name called from deep within myself and it was the the essence of my being the the soul of who I was it was my true name being spoken without language and without voice and without sound inside my being and I knew that suddenly I was in the presence of God who was next to me, but although I could see everything else, I could not see God, and I knew it was God's voice, and that, that and I knew that I was named, and that was my true name, and that in the calling of my name, I knew that there was absolutely none of me that was unknown. There were no dark corners, everything about me, all of my being was completely known and understood, and I was infilled with this love and hope and beauty and joy and truth that was all one thing. It wasn't separate things. They were one thing. And it instilled me. And, and then I went to hell. And my own hell. And the hell I experienced was the, the pain that I had caused every single individual in my entire life, starting from my birth, whether I intended that pain or not. From, and I felt it from their point of view. I could see them and feel their experience of the pain that I gave. And, and it was hard. It was difficult. But the most difficult part were the, were the pain, was the pain that I had not intended, that I, that I didn't know that I had caused. Um, and as I went through this experience of feeling all the pain that I had ever given, I simultaneously experienced, not through choice, just plain experienced, all of the justifications I had for every single reason and every single reason that I had caused the pain that I had given and uh, to the other. And I touched myself um, poorly. I was ashamed of what I had done. And meanwhile, there was this third thing that was going on. It was the, the voiceless, soundless, spoken word of God inside myself without language saying, you're my creature. I created you. I love you. I know you. I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. I love you. Mm-hmm. And and I was forgiven, undeservedly. And I then when, when this was over, I was back in this place of beauty and love and truth inside myself. That's where the place was. And I said, am I dead? And without language, of course, and no voice, because I had no body. And the voice of God said to me inside myself, telepathically, I guess you could say, um, 
yes, you're dead. And I said, oh, but I can't die now. And God said, why not? And I said, well, I had a sister who, who vanished, and it broke my mother's heart, and she had a breakdown, and my family went into disarray and, and decade, a decade of pain and suffering and uh, secret-keeping and mostly just pain. And I said, I, I, can't, I can't take another child from my parents. I can't do that. And then God took me and showed me all of Earth and every human being on Earth, and I saw all of their suffering, and I saw my parents in particular, and, and the voice of God said inside me, in the way that I love you now, I have always loved you. And when you were on Earth, you couldn't feel it, like all of these people, because you live within the flesh and in this world, this, this veil that prevents us from seeing the truth of the love of God. And, and God said, you know that that's true. And I knew that it was true. I, I knew that there was, that I'd always been loved with this incredibly infinite love that to this day, I can't fully feel. I, I definitely can't fully feel. I feel only just this tiny, tiny bit of it. And, and God said, in the way that I love you now, I've always loved you. And, and because of my love, your parents will be well because they've always been well, they are well, and they will be well, just like you. And I knew that that was true. I knew that the love that God had for my parents was the same love that God had for me. It was individualized love, and it was absolute, infinite love, and, and yet God loved all of us the same. And I knew that my parents would be okay, but I also could see that in their lives, in this life, that they would suffer greatly were I to die. And so I said to God, um, I said, I have another reason why I can't leave. And I was in this theater company, and I was traveling on this national tour that was leaving in three weeks, and we'd been in rehearsal for six months, and there was this 24,000 miles of travel and 64 shows, and the director had literally grabbed me by the lapel and said to me before I went climbing, uh, don't get hurt. There are no understudies. Um, you can't be replaced. And so that's what I said. And, and, um, uh, and I, then I said, do I have to, do I have to die? Do I have to stay here? And God said, no, you don't have to stay here. You don't have to die now. And I said, well, if I, if I go back to earth, to my body, to that world, can I come back here? And God said, yes, you can come back here. And, and by here I meant this heaven that was inside of me. And I said, well, then I choose to live my life. Oh, oh there's one more thing before I, that I choose to live my life. When I witnessed my parents, I also saw the length of my life. And the length of my life and their lives and everybody's lives was a wink of God's eye. It, it, it seems so long to us that it was so brief when I saw it from that point of view. And so I said to God, I choose to live my life. And God said to me, you won't live your life. And the next thing I knew, I was, felt like I was being screwed back into my belly painfully. And when I came to, 
I was dangling on my harness and my partner, Tim, was screaming at me, but I couldn't really understand what what he was saying or who he was or where I was or what I was or, or any of that. I was completely disoriented, and he was shouting at me and had me by the shoulder and was shaking me and trying to pull me up, and I climbed back up again, and I looked at him, and he was screaming at me, and I was completely... Uh, lost. I, I didn't know, I, I didn't understand I had a body or that I was a body or that I was where I was or who I was or anything. I was just lost. And so finally I began, I began to understand what he was saying. He was saying, don't die. I thought you were dead. Uh, you, uh, if you died, I was going to die. And I pulled the rope. Probably told me to pull the rope and I pulled the rope and it came loose on the first pull. And we descended and descended first. I descended after him. We set up our tent and we treated ourselves for hypothermia. Uh, I don't really know what time it was, but I'm pretty sure we didn't sleep at all. And the sun came up pretty fast. We packed up our gear and hiked out to the car. It wasn't wasn't far off the highway where we were. You could see the climb from the highway pretty close up. And um, threw our gear into the car and... Um, and I never said anything to Tim. Tim was an atheist, and I, I had no idea what had happened to me. So that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell, literally. It's quite a story, Peter. It's it's, it's amazing. You um, one of the things that you first encountered um, that you just described was that uh, that darkness that was trying to draw you out. Yeah. What do what do you how do you interpret that? What do you think that was? It was the way I felt it, the way it, it seemed to me was that it was uh, something that was not of this world, something that was always present and unseen that took me. It, was, it wasn't a being so much as a force. And uh, I saw it rushing. I saw it rushing toward me. And, but to say I, see it, I saw it rushing toward me, makes it sound like it had some sort of physical attributes to it, but it, mm. it really didn't. It um, was like a darkness that came rushing toward me. And I was, a, I was a little frightened of it. I was definitely frightened of it. I yes. was frightened of it as it approached me. And I, I knew that it was, I knew that it wanted me. And I resisted. I fought with all of my might, which of course, amounted to nothing in comparison. Did it seem to have a consciousness to it? Not that I saw, not that I felt or understood. I, I, I knew that it had a desire, and its desire was that it wanted me. And it, it happened so fast. Um, it happened so fast. It, it wasn't like an angel sweeping down. It was more like a a force, uh, like a, the way I think about it is like, um, a huge vacuum that was, that pulled me from myself or, or I was a twig, um, sitting on the edge of a river when a torrent came down and ripped me from my, my, uh, place along the, ri- the river bank. I, I didn't experience it as any, having any sort of personality to it or character. And I, I, when I got to the greater, darkness, I was alone. I wasn't frightened when I was there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, when I first got there, I was content and I accepted what was in front of me or what was around me, even what I was, although I was quite disoriented at what I was. I, I knew that I wasn't what I was before. And I knew that I could think more clearly than I ever could think before because my brain didn't seem to be in the way. And when when God showed up, um, or at least when I sensed God's presence, uh, I recognized that God had infinite wisdom and was being beyond compare, and that I was a creature in the presence of Creator. And I felt loved and whole and welcomed. And I felt home. How um, do you think... Um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, do you think that the intention of the darkness was to keep you from God or to bring you to God? To bring me to God. And okay. it wasn't a negative darkness. It wasn't darkness of, of... It wasn't evil or preventative or any of those sorts of things. It was just... Um, it was just a, a darkness. And it wasn't a... Once it took me, I was no longer afraid. I was only fearful of it when it approached me because I knew that it was going to take me. Now, how has this uh, event changed your life's direction? <laughs> well, <laughs> every single day. I, I Initially, I... I said nothing to anyone for 20 years or so. But every single day, I'm not, I'm only partly here. I've, I've never fully been here ever since. I, I'm not the person I was before. It hasn't really changed my character, but I, I, I'm attached to the other side and, and I no longer believe in God. I no longer have faith in God because, you know, I, I, when people, I say that to people, they're like, what? You don't have faith in God? You don't believe in God? Well, to me, I, I say to them, well, do you believe in your car? Do you believe in your house? And they say, well, no, I don't have to believe in my car or my house. And I say, well, that's because it's real, right? Well, I don't, my, my faith and my belief was taken, they were taken from me that day. I didn't, I didn't give them up or think about it. God is absolutely real to me. And I know that I am known. It's not that I know God. It's that I know that sense that most of me is still on the other side. I feel like I live with a, a one eye that's always staring off in that direction, um, or one foot that's, that's, that's planted there, and all my weight's on that foot, while my other foot over here is kind of dangling a little bit, barely touching the ground. And it left me with this experience of being disoriented here. Um, I left on this theater tour. So I left on, leave on this theater tour in a 15-passenger van and a pickup truck with a trailer behind it. And I was so messed up by this experience that I um, brought all my camping gear with me, and I, I basically stayed in the back of that pickup truck for all 24,000 miles and saw uh, everything in the United States that's beautiful, all the national parks and the cities and the mountains and the prairies and the plains and you name it, we saw it. And... Um, None of it was beautiful. None of it compared to the beauty on the other side. And I, I felt like I was living in a cartoon. I still feel alien here, uh, separate. I'm non-attached. You know, the Buddhists talk about the practice of non-attachment. And, mm-hmm. and that's not to say I, I don't have an ego, because I do have an ego. 
but but I'm I know my mortality. I know I'm passing through here. I know I have an end date, um, and I don't fear death anymore. And so all of these things informed my my choices in life. But mostly, the thing that that, that drives me every single day is uh, is the seeking after God. Is I'm always in pursuit because I want that which I can't have here, which is the full divine experience. I try to explain this to my my friends who are spiritually oriented that, you know, you may think that you can get all of heaven here, and you can get some heaven here. You know, the, the Christians call it, um, uh, what do they call it, uh, eschatology, um, the yes. divine presence here. Um, yeah, there is some of that here, but it's nothing compared to what it's like on the other side. It's <laughs> It's so not that. Has it become an urgent task for you to tell people your story after all the years of not telling it? Yes, and in and, and, and all those years of not telling it, I created a box that I kept this thing in, and, and pressure built up inside this box. It just kept building and building and building um, because there seemed to be this push to tell this story from my inside, and I didn't want to tell this story because it's crazy to me sounded crazy to me. Nobody I knew, it was 1980, nobody I knew, uh, and there was no internet, and I'd never heard of it, and and now um, I tell it as often as I can to help people understand um, that it's okay to die, and the other side has much more of what we need than we can ever find here. And this is a a bridge that we're passing over or a, uh, a film that we existed before the film started and we're going to exist when the film ends or however you want to phrase it. But yeah, I try to talk about it every time I yeah. get the chance. And in particular, I like to talk um, to people who are grieving um, or people who are dying. And you'll have a book coming out soon. I understand heaven is beautiful. Well, I, I certainly hope so. The manuscript's written and the uh, proposal is written and my agent's working on it. We're in the hunt for a publisher right now. But yes, I certainly hope so. Um, and a lot of that has to do with uh, trying to get the word out to people that it's okay. Of course. Well, I hope you find a publisher soon. I look forward to reading it. And um, tell, tell the listeners if there's... Uh, some way that they can be in touch with you or go to a website to find out more about uh, uh, about what you're doing? Sure. Uh, they can go to dailydevotions.org. And actually on that site, dailydevotions.org, is a little video um, that they can take a peek at if they want to. It's about a five-minute version of what I just said. And they can write to me at peter at dailydevotions.org, too. And I'd love to hear from you, uh, if that's what you would like to do. Do you have a blog? I don't have a blog, um, but <laughs> you can find us on every sort of uh, social media that's out there. Daily Devotions is a, a two-minute program, as you mentioned in the beginning, that airs here in Maine on a couple of NBC stations. But we're also on Facebook and Pinterest and LinkedIn and Twitter and you name it, we're out there. So we're, we're very uh, findable. Yes. You're looking for me. But the location <clears throat> is uh, central is dailydevotions.org. 
And your half-hour show, the one that I listen to on Hassan Radio, is that uh, available on the Internet? Uh, no, only because that there's some... Well, yes and no. I mean, it's live-streamed, and you can catch it at uh, com. WHSN 89.3, Bangor, Maine, and it live streams at 10.30 in the morning on Sundays. But there are licensing issues around music that you know, yes. we can't, right? But, um, yes. you, you You've been playing uh, Paul Simon recently. It's been very, very wonderful. I love Paul Simon's music. He's a deep <laughs> fellow. And, okay, um, I, I've got one last short question that probably could take another half an hour. Do you ever feel like you've regretted the decision you made to come back? Oh, every day, without fail. I actually prayed for my death on a daily basis for decades. Hmm. And I, I know that people tell me, people tell me that it's beneficial for them to hear my story and for the work that I do. Um, but as for me, I feel that I made uh, the, the wrong choice. And if I had known what God had meant that you won't live your own life, um, by which I've come to understand, meaning I'm not the person I was before. I completely belong to God now. I, I wouldn't have come back because it's so much better on the other side. It's, it's infinitely, I can't even, I can't express how infinitely better it is. Wholeness, love, beauty, truth, forgiveness, mercy, all the great things of God are beyond comprehension, and they're 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 not things at all. Actually, there's no thing over there. Um, oh, Peter, thank you so much for for being with us today and and uh, sharing your story with us. Um, you're welcome, Liam. It. I want to tell the listeners that if they'd like to hear the show again or any of our other programs, they can visit our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about IANS, please check out IANS.org, I-A-N-D-S.org. There will be information on that site about our upcoming Labor Day weekend conference on NDE's health and healing. It's going to be held in Newport Beach, California from August 28th through the 31st. So save those dates and thanks for listening. 